You can imagine the scene of someone arriving at the pearly gates in the afterlife, ready to enter heaven. But Swedenborg observed that the location of our arrival when we cross over is right in the center of the world of spirits. From there, we decide which direction to take. Here we are, inside Off the Left Eye. This week, Curtis and I launch a new spirit story with Act One. Next, Dr. Jonathan Rose muses on what it takes to have a new thought. Then we travel to 1768, when Swedenborg embarked on a pivotal journey to Amsterdam, this week in history. And to make our weekly goodbye just a little bit easier, we're going to end it with a song. All right. Hey, Curtis. Hey, Chelsea. We are on to a new spirit story. I can't believe that we made it through that last one. I know. Oh, it was it was amazing. Quite quite an adventure we were on. Let's not take a break. Let's just like no no time to rest, no time to eat a snack. Let's get going on the next one. <laughs> yes. And so we are ready to take on our next spirit story and just as a reminder for people, these are things that Swedenborg saw and heard in the spiritual world. And so for Swedenborg, he describes having the inner levels of his mind or spirit opened, and that allowed him to be in the spiritual world with angels and at the same time in the physical world with people. And for him, I don't know anybody else, but he had this dual consciousness I mean, even though it was a single consciousness, he got to just be aware of both worlds at once for nearly 30 years. And specifically when he says why this happened is because it was for the sake of being able for people to actually learn about what heaven and hell are like. And that this even was required because we'd sort of just lost touch so that the, the value of having somebody's spiritual eyes opened who could go explore heaven and hell and then write it down for people to explore for themselves was really important. And Swedenborg got to do that. So that's what brings us here is now we have these fabulous uh, spirit stories to interface with these firsthand accounts of Swedenborg's own experiences. And he includes lots of these throughout his theological works. So that's what we get to do is go on these little spirit story adventures. And we are doing Swedenborg a favor here because if the point of the thing was to let people know about heaven and hell, him telling the story doesn't cut it. It's got to be he tells the story and somebody listens and that's us. Yes. And and that's also it too that on these spirit stories, on these little adventures, they're gonna they're always gonna make us think about the nature of heaven and the nature of hell, you know, so there was like a purpose to these experiences. And so we get we get a feel for that. You know, they're always gonna sort of expand our ideas of the nature of the spiritual world. So Yeah, there's always a a hidden agenda with these. I mean, Swedenborg is always using these stories to expound on or illustrate a point that occurred. He's he's never just giving you an anecdote because it was cool. It's always trying to illustrate some recurring broader principle. Because he, like you said, 
he had these 30 years of experience. It's not like, oh, I've had six spiritual experiences, so I'll tell you them all. He could comb through this unending (laughs) amount of material. So he was very selective, I think, in what stories he told based on the, the points or the things they were illustrating. They had to have like a perpetual function. Yes. Oh, it's such a good point. And so here, one of those perpetual functions is this knowledge about just the existence of life after death itself. So in this next spirit story, we are going to embark now on Act One, in which Swedenborg interviews newcomers to the spiritual world about their beliefs on life after death. So we begin. Once I was out on a walk with some angels. So that's a wonderful beginning. Swedenborg is out on a walk with some angels. That sounds nice. <laughs> yeah. And okay. Is he walking in this world and there alongside him? Is he out of the body? I guess we don't know. Oh, well, here we go. We were walking in the world of spirits. Okay. There you go. Which is midway between heaven and hell, the place where all of us first go after we die. There we are prepared. If we are good for heaven, if we are evil for hell. I was speaking with them about many different things, among which was the following. Now, this is great because it's just sort of a tangent. This is like, it's wonderful. He says, this is what he's saying to the angels. In the world where I am currently living in my body, countless stars appear at night, large and small. They are all suns that transmit just their light to our solar system. When I noticed that there are also visible stars in your world, I reckoned that there are the same number here as in the world where I live. And so then, delighted by this topic of conversation, the angels said, There could well be the same number. Every community in heaven at times shines like a star to those who are below heaven. There are countless communities in heaven, all arranged according to different feelings of love for what is good. These feelings are infinite in God. Therefore, there are countless feelings from him. Since these heavenly communities were foreseen before creation, I suppose that the stars were provided in the same amount, (laughs) meaning that an equal number of stars was created for the world where people with a physical earthly body were going to live. So that is a fascinating point for him and these angels to be musing on. (laughs) Oh, well, there's a lot of... um bombs dropped there one is that god foresaw all of the angelic communities way way back in the beginning i mean i guess you could piece that together (laughs) but to say and also you go watch any show about the universe and it's all like trying to boggle your mind with the scale of it there there are billions of stars inside our galaxy and our galaxy is only one of billions of galaxies (laughs) and it's just shocking the size and the scope and the scale of everything so i guess you get more of a sense of what swedenborg means when he says heaven is not about to fill up yes and also that heaven can change like i love that now you know this sort of the, the way they're talking about it that kind of suggests like well they created a number of stars and that's just what there is but our knowledge now about the universe is like, well, stars have these lifespans and the, you know, there's just this malleability to the whole created universe. And, and so to think that heaven is this ongoing, evolving, shifting thing, the communities in heaven, you know, are shifting and changing, but oh, that they yeah, all, that's, yeah. 
That's cool. So you're saying that like a star collapses and becomes a white dwarf and then <laughs> yeah. all that stuff or expands into being a red giant and almost engulfs the earth. That's that's all phases that these communities can go through. And then what's a supernova when when you have a community, which seems like it explodes, but you know the, the force and energy from that radiates out through the entire universe. So is there a hmm. point at which... Communities, wow, there's a point at which communities say, all right, we, we did one, the thing we wanted to do. Now we're spreading out to everyone. I don't know. That's, that's, know. A great, that's a great thought, though. Right. Sort of this ongoing evolution. Who knows? But that's, that's super fun to be even just sauntering along with Swedenborg and these angels right now wondering about it. So. Well, and when he first brought it up to those angels, it, it was a, it like it said, they were so glad that I brought this up. And it's kind of like, oh, those angels are so simplistic. But here we are getting geeked out about the very same thing. It is actually, if you, if you think about what we're actually saying, it's the most cool thing to wonder about. Yes. All right. Well, they just, they drop that uh, line of conversation here and it starts going somewhere else. So here's what happen- happens next. While we were having that conversation, I noticed a paved road to the north. It was so crowded with spirits that there was scarcely a foot of space between each spirit. I said to the angels, I have seen that road before with spirits on it, like the rank and, and file of armies. I have heard that this is the road traveled by all who are leaving the physical world, which I love this because this is always how people portray it in movies now. But obviously, Swedenborg, you know, didn't have movies to be thinking about in pop culture. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, And so uh, he says, the road is covered with that many spirits because tens of thousands of people die every week and they all migrate to this world after death. The angels added, the road comes to an end in the middle of the world of spirits where we are now. It stops here because on the side toward the east, there are communities that love God and their neighbor. To the left, toward the west, there are communities that are against those loves. And in front, in the south, there are communities of spirits who are more intelligent than others. This is why those who have recently left the physical world arrive here first, Once they are here, they are at first in their outer selves, the parts of themselves they had been closest to in their prior world. Later on, they come more and more into their inner selves. Then their true quality is investigated. Once this is discovered, the good are brought to their places in heaven and the evil to their places in hell. We stopped walking in the middle area where the road for arrivals came to an end. We said, Let's spend a little time here and talk to some of the new arrivals. We chose 12 of them. Since they had just arrived from the physical world, they did not realize they were not still in that world. We asked them what they believed about heaven and hell and life after death. So that's our act one of this spirit story. Good. That's about all I could handle because I was... There's a couple things that we've got to talk about. Bursting at the seams, I know. Yeah, One of them is that this road ends in between all these communities. And you might think, oh, they just need to get into the middle. But I wonder if those processes that are happening in the spirits of newly arrived 
people where you get sorted out from externals to internal, the equilibrium that you're in there, sort of at the midpoint between these communities that are either loving and wise or not, if that creates the right conditions, almost like a, you know, those magnetic vortexes that people say occur on earth that, that facilitate that process happening in people. Hmm. Totally. And Um, have they had to add some lanes onto that road? Because there's going to be a lot more people coming in every day (laughs) now. Have they built trains? What do they do? Oh, and that these people are just walking along and sort of don't really realize that they uh, have even died yet. And so they're just going to like, hey, let's tap on the shoulder of like 12 of these people and we'll see what they believe about heaven and hell and life after death. I feel like this is like... Such an interesting little experiment for Swedenborg to be going on with these angels. <laughs> yeah. I thought of dreams right away because at first it seems bizarre and alien that you could be walking somewhere and have someone ask you a weird question and not realize that you had died. It's almost a little yes. freaky. Like have we lost right. our our groundedness and rationality? But in your dreams, you are constantly in these weird situations and you just act like yourself in them, even though you yeah. don't have the ability to reflect on how did I get here? Wait, this isn't like my regular life. What's going on here? But you just talk and interact in your dreams. You're just right there for it. And I guess you're in a little little bit of a dream state when you're just coming into the afterlife. We'll have to wait and see until next time to see what exactly those 12 interviewees have to say about the afterlife and what they believe in our next podcast episode. So stick around for that. And in the meantime, though, tomorrow on the Off the Left Eye YouTube channel, you can catch our newest Chasing Swedenborg, which will be released tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So, Curtis, now, I wonder, you know, so often I just leave you here out in the hallway to hang out while I go visit Dr. Jonathan Rose to hear about the news from the NCE, but... Maybe there's space. If you if you're willing to behave, we could we could have you come along and I, then you know, there's a chair for you there if you want. Listen, I have been waiting for the chance to prove myself to Jonathan that I can behave and I can wait my turn and, and what happened last time will never happen again. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right. Hey, Jonathan, are you ready for the NCE spotlight? We are here and you can see I've got Curtis with me this time. So hey, I hope there's space. Do. Dr. That's Rose, great. I, I don't presume. Know quite <laughs> yes. where everybody's going to fit, but if you can move that pile of books over there, maybe we can squeeze just, in. This will be fun. Just move the pile of books on top of me. I, I'll be fine. Okay, okay great. Good. And I'll just sit on this pile of books and yeah. Curtis, you can have the chair. That's Perfect. Fine. We're comfy. Thank you, Jonathan, for... for I, I've just can't fathom what you guys do in here, so I can't wait to get to hear it. (laughs) Well, Curtis, in this segment, we shine a light on the discoveries being made in the work of the NCE. And so, Jonathan, what do you have for us today? Well, there's some passages, and I'm glad you're here, Curtis, because it'll be interesting to kick these around a little bit. Uh, (laughs) These are just three passages of many that could be chosen uh, about how spirits and angels interact with our thoughts. And uh, basically what I've been trying to get at in my mind is how do we have a new thought? Uh, 
it's a powerful thing when a lot of people think the same kinds of thoughts or have the same dream or vision or goal together. But it's also the case that human beings can also kind of gang up and sort of go over a cliff like lemmings sometimes, or mm-hmm. you can get into groupthink. Um, and so what breaks you out of that? And you would think that from what Swedenborg says that the, the, um, the existence of angels and spirits would be a perfect way out because, wow, you can just get new thoughts from spirits and angels— And that'll give you a new understanding. They can lead you into a better way of thinking about it. But Swedenborg actually says that that's not how it works. And so I wanted to share these three passages with you and kick them around a little bit, if you will. Hmm. Great. Cool. One is all the way early in spiritual experiences. Number three. It's just short. Oh, wow. But it says, the spirits that have been placed next to someone take to themselves the person's knowledge and memory, and this causes them to think they are that person. (laughs) Okay, so that's going to be a little difficult to have. Like, they're not going to be in a great position to give you a thought that you never had if they think they're you, (laughs) right? Yes. And and, and they have your understanding, your memory, and everything, and they, they think you are you. They are you. I've thought of this as a great um, burglar alarm system that if you had a burglar alarm such that when somebody climbed in your window, they thought it was their house, <laughs> they wouldn't steal anything. That's right. And somebody, somebody broke in and tidied up everything. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> did Finally the dishes, did the dishes. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> and so, wait, how is that going to work? And in Divine Providence 135, so we're jumping all over the time span here, Mm -hmm. uh, but here's another passage. Swedenborg says, We are allowed to talk with spirits, though rarely with angels of heaven, and many people have been allowed to for centuries. When it happens, though, they talk with us in our own everyday language Mm. and use only a few words— And I'll hit pause there and just say, well, yeah, I never really thought about that, but they don't come into my mind speaking Mandarin or or some language I've never heard. Right. You know, it just happens in in the same kind of thought. It sounds like myself in my own head. And very interesting, it says they use only a few words. How would you get a a whole new understanding if they're only allowed to say a few words? And then he almost hints that there are some who do so with the Lord's permission and some sort of get away with it. But he Mm. says, further, the ones who have the Lord's permission to talk with us never say anything that would take away our freedom to think rationally. Mm. And they do not teach either. Only the Lord teaches us indirectly through the word by which he means the Bible, when we are enlightened. So hang on, that, that's a number of little parameters on there. So wait a minute. So they don't teach us. Wow, that's weird because you hear people talk about angel guides and that sort of thing, and I can see that angels are always eager to give us every possible help they can in our lives. But if you're really getting down to your worldview or 
how you see theological things or God or something, they're actually not allowed to to teach us. Hmm. We have to go to the Bible and we have to be enlightened. And then Swedenborg goes on, I've been granted knowledge of this by personal experience. I've been talking with spirits and angels now for many years, and no spirit has dared and no angel has wanted to tell me anything, let alone teach me about things in the Word or any aspect of theology based on the Word. Only the Lord has taught me. Hmm. It's really interesting. So how, I mean, but then how did he come to such different thoughts than, than the ones he grew up with? How, how right. does that happen? We talked last week about how he was getting into Scripture and, and studying it, and that does seem to be a major avenue hmm. for the Lord to actually be able to give us a new thought that we weren't having before. And so the the spirits and angels are not even allowed to tell us things that, that we don't already think. In fact, there's some passages in which Swedenborg explains that that the reason we have the spirits with us that we have is because of the way we think of things. So they are mm. kindred spirits. They just think the way we do. Uh, and we would never see something analogous to this happening right now on social media in the world of Earth. <laughs> no, fortunately not. <laughs> so there's, there's something that matters more than the acquisition of knowledge. Because it sounds like if the point was to get every human being just loaded up with clarity and understanding on big important matters, that knowledge is in the world of spirits, it's in the spiritual world in all its areas. You could just stick that uh, USB stick right into someone's head, and but it seems like the whole thing is arranged to not to have that happen. And it must be that it's because that's that would ruin something more important, which is what learning that knowledge does. When it's said that it has to be a, a, according to our rationality, it made me think of scientific discoveries. I know sometimes people have a dream or, or something and they see some new invention, um, but basically, the whole process goes according to an earthly calendar. I mean, no one 500 years ago uh, suddenly thought of, I don't know, something nobody's ever heard of before or suddenly designed, yeah. you know, something that never existed. I mean, it seems to go by a scientific discovery. Then we discover microbes. Oh, and then we discover this and we discover antibiotics or whatever it is and and it just marches in a logical way because if you had these sort of older siblings, so to speak, who are in the other world who are way more knowledgeable than you are, it would completely undermine, hmm. wouldn't it, what we're doing down here? If like, oh, yeah, no, you're smarter. No, you're right. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, it reminds me of the uh, the spirit story that we were just exploring last time that we just finished was about... Uh, you know, this newcomer in the afterlife, and he meets an angel who's there to help him 
go further on his journey. But the angel doesn't just answer his question. He gives him a question that leads him on this whole path of discovery, you know, so it totally is that kind of like, here, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, you know, a leg up here, but you got to climb yourself or something. Wow. And it fits that parameter of only a few words, right? Yes, right. Like Like, he just throws this juicy question out there and like, boom, there you go. That's all I'll give you right now. Yes. And then you'll, you'll chase that all over the place. Yeah, and there's there's one more passage I want to share and chew over with you, uh, which is True Christianity 137, uh, subsection 8. And this is from all the way the other end, from spiritual experiences. And so Swedenborg's still mm. thinking about these same topics. And he is interacting. He has this intense interaction in the spiritual world with someone. And he asks that person, do you know who you're associated with? in the world. And the person says, I do. And then Swedenborg says, well, tell your person in the world this and that and the other thing. And the person refuses. He says, I can't do that because on this topic, he and I are more or less of one mind. (laughs) You know? (laughs) No, we we don't. There's no real daylight b- between us on this. I, um, and then he adds another, somewhat seemingly insulting thing. Besides, says this spirit about his person on Earth, he doesn't understand the things I tell him. Although <laughs> the things he tells me, I understand very clearly. <laughs> <laughs> so you've also got like a cognitive difference there that it needs to default to the weaker of the two parties because otherwise they'd just be blown away. Um, And this spirit actually says, the spiritual world enters the material world and perceives the thoughts of people there, but it doesn't work the other way around. And then intriguingly, at the very end of this passage, in the last published theological work of Swedenborg's, he says, these are the present conditions of interaction between spirits and people. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh. Always leaving that kind of a tale. I love that. Do you mean that could change over time? Yeah. That, inter- he doesn't say, this is the law. It's just, that's how it needs to work now. But the vision of heaven on earth, maybe there'll be different interactions that are possible in the future. So, so what do you think? Yeah, you can only learn so much from other people and then the real learning and honing and you know refining your mind comes from being engaged in the work yourself you know and that that's just essential but it's cool to think about how that could apply to Swedenborg uh even you know having a new thought changing his mind is like well you have to do the work like really be engaged with that source material you know with the bible and then that opens up this possibility for new thoughts to be, to be, uh, you know, sort of inserted into your mind that you can take and work with, you know, and feed off of that angelic influence. But it's it's got to come from you engaging somehow. And he says that's indirect, and it seems quite gradual. You know, I mean, he spends years studying the Hebrew and indexing the Bible and all that, and um, yeah, and it's a long to just bit by bit. These, oh, wait, I think this is, oh. Hmm. And he keeps thinking about it, and he's got that scientific mind. Uh, 
I just think it's very interesting. And so it's tempting to want the answers, but I can I can just imagine how boring life would be if you just every time you, well, what's it? Here's the answer. You yes. know? <laughs> as soon as you pose the question, well, here, that's what it is. And, and you can't really say, well, I disagree or I have a different thought or, or something. It makes me think about the relationship between physical and spiritual, um, and particularly Swedenborg talking about not learning stuff from those spirits, but learning from this other source that's somehow centered around inspiration while reading the word. And I, you know, I'm not really fanatically coming through all accounts of people interacting with spirits. Because I think that that, while I I like that part of Swedenborg's works, what I'm really attracted to is the life philosophy inside of it. Mm -hmm. The the deep view of what is and what should be, the the glimpse into the mind of God. And it could, you often have Swedenborg educating people in the spiritual world. You do. About about what's going on. Even angels he'll, he'll trade ideas with. So... I think that it's not as simple as, well, everything would be great if the world, if if everyone could talk to spirits. I think that's probably why Swedenborg didn't spend a lot of time teaching you how. And instead he says, look, this is regardless of whether or not you're seeing into the next life or you're not, this is the way to heaven is these principles. And you think of the richness of, in this world of, we are all, welcome, as we're doing in this podcast, to share ideas with each other. You know, that, like, if we're all on the same plane, great. Write a book, make a movie, you know, yes, record right. a song or something, and we can all sh- share that. And that it would take away from that richness um, and all that art and creativity uh, if it was just sort of blasting down through the ceiling. <laughs> Oh, well, that is so interesting. So cool to think about these ideas. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Oh, you're welcome. I can grab those books. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's pack your bags and we'll go across the hall here to the uh, headquarters for our time traveling at Swedenborg Foundation Labs. <laughs> yeah, you can't just do that in any room. Yeah, no, we got to go to that special one across the hall. So shall we go there now, guys? Let's do it. I'll be right along. Okay. (laughs) All right, Curtis and Jonathan, here we go. Put on your safety belts. We're going to 1768. So much more spacious in here. It is. It's nice. It's Click. cool. And... <laughs> All right. So we are traveling to 1768 this week in history. And what was happening, where Swedenborg was, we're going to Stockholm, Sweden. But this week was the week that he was leaving Stockholm for Amsterdam. And so that's what Swedenborg was up to this week in history. Segment over. No, no, no. (laughs) It might sound boring, like Swedenborg left Stockholm for Amsterdam, but when you tease apart these words and you understand 
sort of their inner meaning, you realize there's a lot more going on here. So first of all, Stockholm equals Swedenborg's home. You know, that's where he's from. That's his home base. Amsterdam is where Swedenborg goes to publish things a lot of the time. So doing some detective work here, he is going to publish something. And it's 1768. And so that means he's got some hefty manuscript in his bag or in his, you know, chest or something, whatever he travels with. And that manuscript is his work, Marriage Love. Uh And he is heading off to Amsterdam to publish this. He's finally finished his draft. He actually, with Marriage Love, he's gone through multiple successive sketches of it, one of which, fascinatingly, has been lost. So, but he, he wrote a sketch of Marriage Love in 64, in 66, in 67, and now he's got the final thing and he's leaving Stockholm to go to Amsterdam to print it. And another thing that's impressive about this little manuscript or big manuscript that he's got with him is that it's the only one that reads or will read that this was by Emanuel Swedenborg, a Swede, is what he adds on there too. But so this is the first book if that he includes tell. his name. Yeah, yeah, I know, Swedenborg, right? <laughs> so convenient. If <laughs> my, he was from somewhere else, we'd have to- My name is Curtis, you know. United States of America Childs. I'm, I'm from the United States. <laughs> yeah. And we'll have to put that in the descriptions for our episodes and stuff. <laughs> but so- he, he puts his name. He's never before publicly, you know, officially announced that I'm the author of not only this book, but in Marriage Love, he includes a list of all of his previous theological works. And so this is the first time when he gets this book published that the cat is fully out of the bag for the whole world, not just Sweden, where he's, you know, kind of uh, let it out earlier, as we've explored in this podcast. It must have been an exciting time because um, you have the comforts of home. Um, he owned some a, a cow or cows, so he would have his fresh milk and he would have the food mm-hmm. he likes and everything. And then uh, travel was so dangerous and, and took a long time back then. And sailing out on the ocean and who knows what you're going to get. I noticed that uh, generally speaking... Swedenborg would only travel between early May and the end of August, basically, hmm. uh, unless it was just sort of a hop from you know nearby parts of Europe. But but that kind of ocean-going journey all the way from it doesn't sound like anything to us now, but right. from Sweden down to the Netherlands or or over to the United Kingdom. Um, wow, he would only do that during a four-month window. And so here we are hitting this point in the spring where you can dare to head out on the on the ocean. And I honestly don't know how he would make all the arrangements, but every time he would have to line up a place to stay. It's not like he owned property in Amsterdam yeah. or London. He'd have to line up a rental, you know, a relatively short term, you know, like a rental for for four months or six months or, or something and... And uh, you got to figure out the currency. That was a little complicated, and and yeah. um, and yeah. I don't know, I don't know about you, but you know, even I, you know, 
for me in my life, when I travel, it's like a big deal and it's a lot to keep track of and all this kind of stuff. For Swedenborg, he is 80 years old. <laughs> so he's not. And like, I know people who, when they're getting on in age, they're like, I don't know if I want to travel anymore. You know, it, it's oh. a lot to handle. But here he is, 80 years old. He's not just going to visit family. He's going on this several month long journey, like you said, and he's publishing a book. Like, he is busy. <laughs> and he's not just 80, he's 200 because the life expectancy was like 40. <laughs> right. Interestingly, I have found, though, I will just say, because I'm a little bit, you know, I'm into this history stuff. Sweden actually had a pretty good life expectancy. It might have actually been closer to 70 or something for Swedenborg's day. And what's fascinating is that then you get into the Industrial Revolution and life expectancy tanks. So <laughs> Swedenborg was actually living wow. in this sort of pre-industrial revolution when like humans lived a little bit longer. And then we got really polluted and we started having super short life expectancies. Okay, so he's only, 100 and f- only 115 years old. Exactly. Yeah, right. More like 150. Yeah. <laughs> and he would not travel, which people commented on that he didn't travel with a, a servant. Normally, if you're a part of the nobility. Oh, yeah. Good point. You would have a little retinue or at least one person to sort of help you out and, <laughs> you know, keep you from getting mugged or to lift up that big trunk of, you know, your your Bibles and books and manuscripts and everything. That's what really boggles my mind is how is he traveling? Like, is it that he has a bag or that he is relying on other people like whoever's driving his carriage or something to be like the one hefting his his luggage or whatever he has with him? Or, I mean, I know, I'm sure he, or knowing what I know of Swedenborg, he probably traveled light because he just was like a light minimalist kind of liver, <laughs> you know, like that's how he lived. <laughs> we have some lists of what he would pack for those trips and it was pretty austere, you mm-hmm. know, three sets of his winter stockings or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that kind of stuff. N- not a lot, but he would want to take his... um especially if he's going to be doing any writing and researching, take his books with him, yeah. uh, some of them, you know, his Bibles and, and some key manuscripts he was working on. And so I believe it was a trunk that he would have, and he, he mm-hmm. must have just handed out tips to, to people for lifting this thing up and down. Oh, yeah, right, right. Um, Interesting. Yeah, people were really surprised. That he, so where's your, you know, where's your servant? Oh, no, don't have one. Yes. Wow. Wow. That's so interesting to think about that. And so we actually have from the memoirs of a close friend of Swedenborg's, this guy, Carl Robsom, who was a bank treasurer in Sweden. And I don't know, I mean, and even in Stockholm, I guess, I'm not sure, but um, he was a close friend of Swedenborg's and I think maybe about like 10 years after Swedenborg died, he got nudged by um, a guy, Nordenschuld, to write down his memories of of his knowledge of Swedenborg. And so, thankfully, we have this uh, Robesom's memoirs of Swedenborg. And in them, he actually happens to remark how he crossed paths with Swedenborg when he was setting off from Stockholm for this very journey. So wow. I will read it to you guys because uh, it's a fun little historical, you know, window into Swedenborg. So he, he's he's talking about something 
else. And then he's including this as evidence to this other point he's making that's sort of irrelevant for us now. But so he says, at his departure, the last but one before he died in London. So this is actually his second to last time that he's leaving Stockholm, that Swedenborg leaves Stockholm. I met him in his traveling carriage. So there you go. He's he's riding in a traveling carriage, heading to a boat. When he was just starting from his house here in Stockholm, I asked him how he, who would be soon 80 years old, could dare to undertake so long a journey and whether we should meet again in this world. Do not trouble yourself about that, said he. If you live, we shall certainly meet again, for I shall have to undertake another journey like this. So that's our little clip. That's it. But it's so fun to hear that Swedenborg has a sense of like, hey, I'm 80 now and I'm doing this, but this isn't the last time. I've got at least one more <laughs> coming. <laughs> but he's not sure about Robsom, who was considerably younger, I believe. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Such an interesting point. Right. He's like, well, we'll see. I love that. He's having to kind of balance all of that providence. Yeah. What does Swedenborg know? What does he not know? And I'm going to... So the fun thing, too, is that Robsom continues here because he happens to remark on Swedenborg's last journey as well. And it just is such perfect context for what we were just talking about, uh, you know, about when Swedenborg died that... Um, I want to just throw it in here too. And so then Robsom continues, when he left Sweden for the last time, he came of his own accord to me at the bank on the day he was to leave and gave me a protest against any condemnation of his writings during his absence, which protest was based upon the law of Sweden. Um, and in which he stated that the house of priests was not the only judge in matters of religion inasmuch as theology belonged also to the other houses and this I'll just pause to say, you know, marriage love that he's going to go print right now when he's leaving Stockholm, um, that, and he's putting his name on it, that starts to create a stir where it sets Swedenborg up to have to be leaving his friends with arguments of why, you know, uh, his, uh, hmm. they could protest, you know, against people condemning his writings. Um, and so he says, on this occasion... I asked him the same question as before, which was whether I should ever see him again. His answer was quite tender and touching. Quote, whether I shall come again, that, said he, I do not yet know. But of this I can assure you, for the Lord has promised to me that I shall not die until I shall have received from the press this work, in which case he was meaning his work, True Christianity, which is now ready to be printed and for the sake of which I now undertake this journey. But if we do not meet again in the body, we shall meet in the presence of the Lord, provided we live in this world according to his will and not according to our own. He then took leave of me in as blithe and cheerful a frame of mind as if he had been a man in his best years. And the same day he departed for the last time from Sweden. So it's fun from Robsom to have that he got to cross paths with Swedenborg at both this time that we're talking about now and can compare it to the to his last journey. Wow. And you think about what a gift each of those books was and the idea of him undertaking this arduous stuff mm. to make sure that those happened and that we now can sit here and reap the rewards of that mm. indefinitely is it's just a it's just, hey, thanks, man, for taking that trip. 
Totally. And thinking of just one copy that you've got with you. Oh, man, yeah. On this little boat out on the water and just hoping you get there and yet feeling <sighs> that you've had some assurance from heaven that, no, that this will be okay. And I don't know, it's drama. It is. Oh, man, that's so good. Well, man, I'm grateful to Swedenborg for, even at 80, taking that adventure, going to Amsterdam to print Marriage Love, and then, you know, I thank the Lord for allowing it to, for him to successfully, you know, print True Christianity as well later on, and so that is pretty fun to explore with the both of you. Absolutely. It's great. Well, thank you both so much. It's so fun to go on this little time traveling adventure. And hey, let's do it next week, too. Sounds good. Let's. We close out each episode of the podcast with a Swedenborg-inspired song. If you have a Swedenborg-inspired song you'd like us to share, you can email us at offtheleftei at gmail.com. Give us permission, and we would love to showcase your Swedenborg-inspired music. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of Inside Off the Left Eye. You're the best audience a podcast could ever have, so thank you for listening. Subscribe to the podcast to never miss when a new episode comes out. And consider supporting our work with a donation. Go to offtheleftei.com donate. Anything you give helps make the quality and impact of the work we do possible. For our Swedenborg-inspired song this week, we are going to share this song by the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Rose, and this is from his album Clear Shining After Rain. The track is On The Move, and this song just gets me so excited. It has this amazing combination of words and music, and I even heard from Jonathan that the way this song came about was he you know, just carries around this uh, little handheld digital recorder and has it on hand to, you know, record ideas uh, as they come to him. And at the time he was getting this idea for this song and would share, you know, recorded the sound of it and was trying to figure out like, what is the instrument that this sound should be? And it was only through the actual production of the album that uh, Reed McArdle, who has done music for Off the Left Eye, he was a producer and said, why don't we use your voice file itself? And so that is what becomes the backbone of this song. And the ultimate effect is so powerful. This song takes you on a journey. And what it really is communicating is the second coming. Like, what is the second coming? And I kind of feel like we experience the second coming in musical form in this song. So get ready to maybe move your body a little bit because this is a powerful piece and this is really why we do what we do. Help, you know, helping to forward the goals and aims and ends of love in this world. So I'm Chelsea Odner and I look forward to being with you next time we're inside off the left eye. But until then, here's On the Move by Jonathan Rose. Enjoy the music. I've sort of thought spiritually my whole life that what we were supposed to be doing is we're going up. You know, we're trying to improve ourselves. We're trying to get better. We're, we're trying to rise up. Uh, it's so intriguing to see 
in scripture that it is equally much about something coming down. the story in scripture of Jacob's ladder and Jacob has this dream and he sees angels going up but they're also coming down the more I've looked at it and the more I've studied scripture I realize it's about something high and holy coming down down as a function of our reception so we kind of actually have the dials on our side of the wall as we get receptive that's when he comes down in greater and greater power and glory there's such excellent scriptural pictures of how beautiful it's going to be our relationship to love and truth will get a lot wiser about how to love each other how to understand each other the darkness that plagues the human race now, that just the insanity, the torture and the terrorism is going to be pushed more and more to the periphery. I'm not saying it's going to be just totally gone, but it's going to be pushed to the sides and that will really pass seriously out of style. And what's going to come into style is love. Above the heavens, he's always been the same. He's coming again.